Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about Comic-Con, Firefly, and we have part one of our interview with Phil Billingham and David Crozier from the concert Rock for Ukraine. Welcome one and all to another episode of The Kindness Project. This week we're joined by... It's just us. It's, it's us. It's us. It's always us. It's always us as usual. I mean, sometimes we, have, we uh, I think we have we've in the had, past. We've had guests on it. We've had quite sort of guests hosts on in the past. Yeah, yeah. But it normally works quite well, doesn't it? This week, we should do that more. Us. We should do that more. Who would we get? Who would we get? Who would? Who would? Who would, who would, who would... can host it on his own. I don't think we'd so. We'd be the guests. We, we'd be the guests, and Raz could host it on his own. Good How about that, Raz? Well, you two have been interviewed before, but I've never been interviewed about... We need somebody to interview you, Rose, don't we? That's right. I'm not, dynamic. What? I'm not dynamic enough for that. Well, right, no, but that's not true, Rose, I know that. I mean, think about all the amazing ideas that you've shared on the <laughs> podcast, including my personal favourite, a clothes shop where you've got to wait, be waiting well, to I'm- get in. Although you did call me late in the week last week and say to me that there's another fan in Norwich. There is, well, I, I mean, I mean, I assumed, I assumed that there was only one person in the world, um, particularly they, who didn't live in Norwich, who thought that Norwich was the best place in the world. They, um, I mean, if you live in Norwich, you're in top. Think Norwich is good, right? Otherwise, why would you live there? Um, but this person lives on the edge of London and genuinely said that Norwich was an amazing place. The weighing shop was your favourite. The weighing shop was my favourite. Um, and if we're going to open it, we should open it in what is, according to two people's <laughs> opinion now, the greatest city in the world. Norwich. Norwich. Um, so we, <laughs> I, I wondered how long I'd have to pause before Russ said Norwich there. I thought he was going to subvert me and go Chester. East Ham's <laughs> amazing. East Ham is amazing. I was listening to a podcast the other day that mentioned Queen's Market in Upton Park. Oh, yeah. Um, I've got I've got a podcast that I really love called Off Menu. It's uh, done by James Acast and Ed Gamble. Basically, they talk about their favourite meals. And there was a guy who was on I it. Thought that was ghosts. Called, I thought that was called Queen Street Market. I don't think it is. I think it's called Queen's Market in Green Street. Um, but yeah, so he, he was talking about that. What's your favourite market? Oh. I don't know. I don't go to many. You like vintage, vintage oh, clothes market, didn't you? Vintage sale. Um, there's one at uni, uh, and it pops up once a month, and it's just clothes for like uh, about the size of our dining room, probably larger. Uh, that just pops up, and they you take your clothes, you go and weigh them on the scale, and you pay accordingly based there on you the go. Yeah. Don't get coats because they're heavy. See, so. this weighing clothes business is making there a resurgence, isn't See? it? It's making a resurgence. And where are you up to today, Charlotte? Comic-Con. We're going to go to Comic-Con. It's going to be good. But you're not going. I'm not going, this year. I'm going, taking the little one. Um, And it'll be good. It's good what well, you're going to drop us. So you will be going, but... Uh, I mean, the uh, the benefit of 
broken you off. He's like, see something amazing out of it. Yeah. I, I mean, the effort that people make. Oh, my God. I remember the first couple of years that you took me to my first Comic-Con. Uh, and I remember, like, to see, see if, like, three years straight, full operational Iron Man suit. You know what? That guy was a, that guy was a, clearly an engineer. Yeah. Because that suit was... It had buttons and, and like the miles went up and all lights on it and stuff you like that. Russ has got yeah. one of them. <laughs> Russ has got one of them. He'll, he'll get off Ninja. He's one's the Hulk. Um, he's, he's got a fully operational Hulk suit. I is just, that right, Russ? Or is I that just, just when you get angry at work? I just see absolutely no point in it at all. Oh. God. There are some weird ones, like... Now, uh, hold on, hold on. Can we examine that? I'm, I'm saying it on YouTube and, uh, and I just don't understand it. Explain the benefit of... It's cool. It's fun. It's, you know... No, but you're talking to a man who doesn't think it's cool and fun, so how are you going to explain it? Um, it's a dedicated project wherein you show your appreciation for a piece of media or, or otherwise work. Uh, and you get to be a living experience, part of the fan culture as part of that, as well as having fun, cool outfits. Are you sold, Russ? I'm not convinced. <laughs> Are you sold? We're just speaking Russell's language. Right, let's say there was a room full of coders. Yeah. And you were all, like, appreciating each other's work. I mean, this sounds weird, doesn't it? This this doesn't sound yeah. like an expert. It sounds like a cult. You 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 all are like you all sort of like you know those clubs you go to that's just about it, coding, Russ. It's getting weirder by the minute, and to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I mean the fact that you are a coding geek and you don't see the benefit of Comic Con, I because normally those I things, you didn't see the benefit of cosplay, and I was like. Okay. Only enough, I met somebody the other day that said to me, through the coding, through the coding club, that said to me, you should be into anime because you're into coding. And I said, I'm just not. Nah, That's the stereotype. That's the stereotype. But we, we're we all different, right, aren't we? We, we, all make, uh, we all make... I different just can't get on with all that. Nah, nah you're too straightforward, Russ. You're, well, you, I'll tell you what, Russ... You like to get yeah, down to business. Yeah. Get down to business. And and all that all that fun stuff, all that like oh, like doing stuff for the sake of doing it. That's I'm into it. So there was a couple of events on yesterday that would have been cool for me, like uh some uh fiction podcast meetups, fan group meetups. Yeah, what ones? Uh the American Archives. I'm wearing one of the t-shirts, and the show's been over for three years. But so you met, that was yesterday, was it? Yeah. Yesterday. Like, oh, yeah. Right. Okay. What's on today? You're going to say? I think I have a wonder. I've put a couple of things on the schedule, but it's about me and so negotiating what we want to go and do. Because uh, I don't want to just drag her around to the stuff, stuff I want to do. do. Well, I am sure you'll have a great time. Yeah. Tell me, um, tell me what you're writing about at the minute. CharlotteDames.com. I'm sorry, just for the Have you done what was last week? I didn't do one. Oh no. no. I was thinking about writing one today and putting it up late, but 
Russ yeah. is look at Rosie's face. He's livid. He's, he's livid. He's, I've never that, seen him so All that angry. time it took me to set up that website and you've missed two weeks. <laughs> it took him ten minutes to set that website up and you're right, no, we need to we need to hold her to account though, because you did really well this year about making sure that she was yeah, doing one a week. So what are you writing about this week? But she she has had some big transitions. She packed her out up. Don't, right, uh, don't make excuses. You always do this. And she's come back to London. No. Right, you always do this. Do not make excuses for her. Do not do... Oh, God, that is proper uncle behaviour, isn't it? Oh, leave her alone. She's a... No. My my dad behaviour is holding holding people accountable. She's entitled to have a break. Right, right. She's at university. She's breaking 24-7. Um... Right. That's a long break at uni. Right, okay. Really not. Right, so um uh, try working for a living. No, right, okay. So what what we what we're gonna do is me and Russ are gonna uh, have a game of the word of the Ocean game and oh. then we're gonna stop at some oh. point and that's what you're gonna write about. What if I've already done it? Uh We'll make sure you haven't. Um, right, you start. We're going to have a game of Mallet's Mallet, the word association game. Uh, you start. Fish. Salmon. Trout. Trout. Can you write about trout this week? Yeah, I can write about trout. Right, so... No, no, what I would like you to write about. Yeah. I've been doing... Uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff. Adobe Firefly. Go on. Talk, talk, talk to us about Adobe Firefly. I, I sent you the video the other day of the generative AI on on Photoshop. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're doing it totally different to places like Midjourney and that. They're ripping it all from their stock imagery. What's it? So that right. there's no copyright issues. They own all the Okay. Yeah, it's just out of this world, the yeah. general field. I mean, AI will have an impact on writers, journalists, yeah. artists. Yeah, I mean, I mean, AI will have an impact on everything over the next 10 years, won't it? Apart from maybe, what's a job that won't be impacted by AI? Well, there might be. There might be like a... Fishy. Oh. <laughs> Oh, oh, you know what? I'd love to see a robot fisherman. Just Cancel. like it can happen. Cancel road sweeper might be affected by AI. Robots could do that robots in the next hundred years. Easy. No. Fishing easy. robots could do it easy. They'd probably do it better because they have like uh Wikipedia uh encyclopedic knowledge of Well, they'll have encyclopedic knowledge of fish, as I will, because you're writing about and fish this week. Storm and and they could have a sensor as part of their robot heads that spots where the fish are, yeah. couldn't they? Yeah, I love that. They'd have to be waterproof, wouldn't they? Well, that's easy, easy isn't it? Easy. And also, like, they can take more risk because it's not human life, so they exactly. don't have to worry about storms. And stuff. Exactly. They can dive in, catch a shark with their teeth, swim out, and the job done. Why are you shaking your head? Unless they're getting sent in. What, what, is, what, is, what have you got against robot fishermen, Russ? I've got nothing. <laughs> what? What? Right. Sorry. Why do robot fishermen deeply offend you, Russ? 
I've got nothing against Robot Fisherman. Oh, you know what? All of our Robot Fisherman listeners are going to be really annoyed at you right now, Russ. Well, they're not fully robots yet. Maybe there's no, they cyborgs no. and... No. I, you know what? Fishing. Can you believe that fishing as a pastime is one of the most popular things to do in the UK? I... It's so boring, though. Yeah, but it's... You know what? The idea... Of being out in nature, which we know is good for well-being, being a Russ. Russ is like I can't, is like a, he can't I get on with that. Can't get on with comic Can't get on with fishing. I don't. Can't get on with robot fishermen, Russ. Clearly, he's offended there. I like walking, but just sitting there doing nothing. It's not near a lake with a rod. Just sitting there doing nothing. I can do that. I'm, and I've got yeah, the, plenty of Wi-Fi. No, and that, but the idea, I think, is sitting but in nature. I mean, I, I'm not a fisherman, but sitting in nature with something in a tranquil way is, is but, I think, is what if you're sitting there most like, fishermen would say not, is the bit, what? I don't find that overly tranquil because I'd be upset at the end of the day if I didn't catch anything. Yeah, but you uh, jump in and do it with your teeth, Russ, because you're that like you're 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 that risk. Like, well, spear fishing, Russ. I bet spear fishing. Spear fishing. I'll give that a go. Spear fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or net fishing. Net fishing. Mug of the week. Let's do mug of the week. Where are we with with the mugs? I am currently drinking coffee at my Chris Witty mug. Mm-hmm. Russ has got his collection <laughs> of the. Travel mugs that he normally drinks out of, and you've got a building legacies mug. mug. Yeah. Amazing, that's mug of the week done. Yeah. Let's move on. So I've just got a really amazing one that looks like a a dustbin. A dustbin, which is really fun. Hmm. Let's move on, on to Candice New and the first. Oh. <laughs> Finished. Loose. And did you, did you get on with that, Russ? Kindness news. <laughs> you get on with that? You don't you didn't like that, did you? I can tell where you face. <laughs> so it's robot fishman you don't like. What else? Cosplay. Cosplay. Fishing and the way that Charlotte does kindness news. And anime. And anime. <laughs> How do you feel about dogs, Russ? Do you get on with dogs? I don't mind dogs. Oh, we don't mind dogs. It will like this story then. Not overly positive, but it'll cope for a minute. There's a couple he can give or take. Yeah, yeah. About a stranded dog who wags his tail with joy as fire cues rescue him from a cliff. How do you feel about that dog, Russ? I love a good story about a dog. He likes his story already. A stranded dog's tail would not stop wagging with joy as fire crews reached his perilous perch and rescued him from a sheer cliff face. How do you feel about cliffs? Cliffs. Cliffs are all right. Oh. <laughs> cliffs are all right. Cosplay. No. Fishing. None of that. No, it's not cliff cliffs. Richard. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> I, 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 Cliffs versus Cliff Richard. I think I'm going for Cliffs. I've seen you scramble down Cliffs. It's very fun to watch. Is it? Um, uh, you know what? There's an amazing Cliff up in our growth, um, 
which you can climb down, and I've climbed down, and it, you can get really close to the sea, um, which is amazing. But there's, yeah, just some of the cliffs up there are beautiful. You overlook a cold, but um, very, very nice. How do you feel about walking along cliffs, Raz? Yeah, uh, not too close to the edge, but mate. Not too close to the edge. Uh, how about if we combine it with a bit of cliff fishing? No. No. Okay. Um, so, a stranded dog's tail would not stop having with joy as five crews rescued him from a perilous perch uh, on a cliff face. Um, Azizdin was the Avon and Somerset Police Drone Squad. How do you feel about drones, Russ? Yep. Um, recently brought a drone. Go on, tell us about that. And then I found out I'm not allowed to fly it because we're in restricted airspace here. Really? Because of RAF Marum, our airspace is restricted, so I've sent it back. But... Uh, I was just going to say... That was the end of Russell's drone story. Bought a drone, couldn't fly it, said it. I was going to say, Russell might not not like drones because they're just one step away from robot fishermen, aren't they? Exactly. Exactly. You attach a rod to a drone, what is it? (laughs) Russ, if you attach a rod to a drone, what is it? That'd be a cool game at the fun pair, though, the... Like drone fishing. Drone fun. fishing, love it. Right. Assisting was the Avon and Somerset's police drone squad, which could find the dog and transmit pictures back to the crews at the top of the cliff. Eventually, a firefight was winched with a harness and lowered halfway down the side of a steep quarry to rescue the stranded pup. Footage captured from the drone shows a nine month old. Black and white spring of spaniel. You can't get any cuter than that, can you? <laughs> Perched precariously on a steep ledge where it had fallen after tumbling down from the walking path whilst on an evening stroll with its owners. The photo of the scene shows how the dog had fallen at least 30 feet. How does a dog survive a 30 foot fall? Hardy little thing. Yeah. Forcing firefighters to employ a large winching system to rescue it. Thankfully, the dog only suffered minor injuries with a broken leg, and Avon and Somerset Drone Squad posted a video of the April incident on its AF at AFRS Temple social pages, saying, "Look at that cute tail wagging." We everybody wishes the pup a sweet recovery. I so love you can't that. Go um, with that. Can you? Uh, I, I love that story. Now, I got, I got. Like to... I don't know why, but some people don't. I love dogs. I love dogs. I love dogs. I, 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 I actually, I don't love dogs. I tolerate dogs. You love one dog. I love one dog, and that's our dog. But if I saw a nine-month-old spaniel tra- trapped <laughs> on a cliff, I'd send in my robot fisherman to <laughs> pull it out. Now, I think, I, as, I, as you said that, as you said. I love one dog. I love our dog. His little ears twitched from across the room. They're so cute. Right. Um, and I, I'm struggling to get the um, next story up. Let's try again without the mirror.co.uk giving me loads of ads. Um, I accept the um, cookies. Cookies. Right, the mirror.co.uk. So. 
Mum and son get lost in the woods for two hours before stranger steps in. Is there a dog involved? I don't think so. Oh. I might be wrong there. Is there a robot visionary involved? Leanne pa- Pate, or is it? I don't know why, why my instinct is to read that. Pate. I don't know why. Pate. <laughs> Lorraine Pate. <laughs> and, and her son, Stephen Cheeseboard. <laughs> And her son Theo from Wigan has been Theo Toast. Have been at They're the a beach bright combination. And headed for formed by Pine Woods, but became lost for hours with no water or phone reception. Mum was on the brink of a panic attack after she and her son got lost deep into the woods when a good Samaritan came to their rescue. Leanne and her son Theo were terrified after two hours being stuck in Formby Pine Woods on, on the Merseyside coast after a family day at the beach began to fear the worst. Leanne from Wigan and her eight-year-old Theo have been enjoying a kickabout on the beach before venturing into the woods, but the two quickly found themselves lost. After walking around for two hours without a signal of water, she stumbled upon a woman who realised how upset Leanne was, helped her back to the car park, and helped her back to the car park. There's a grammar mistake on this. That's so rude. Uh, Leanne said, after about five minutes in the woods, I said to my son that we should turn back. We came out of the woods and did not recognise us at all. I asked someone where the main car park was, and when I got there, it was not the place I had parked. I kept asking people, but it was turning into an absolute nightmare. I was going further and further into the woods, and the trees were getting higher. I had no reception on my phone or water. I must have asked about 15 different people. The problem for Leanne was she was given directions to the lifeboat road car park, but she had parked in the National Trust car park. The 41-year-old said that she was close to having a panic attack and was hiding tears from her son when she met Elaine. Leanne added, I was shaking with panic. I was lost and just did not know how I was going to get back. I stopped Elaine and she could see I was in tears. She just said she would walk me back. It took about 40 minutes, but she walked all the way back to the car park, and if I had not found her, I don't know what I would have done. I was grateful, and she said she would not have been able to sleep if she had not helped me. I just hope she sees this and want and I want to say, give her a massive thank you. I hope she knows how grateful I am and what an amazing person she is. You know what? Just one person offering a bit of help, uh, helping uh, uh, that woman and her son um, just made their life a bit easier, and I absolutely love that. It's so like they, they, a robot fisherman. They did. They did. So what they a... needed was a drone. They could have sent a drone up. <laughs> Scan the forest see, see where they were. Just not in restricted airspace. Yeah, exactly. But without the uh, without the presence of a drone or a robot fisherman, that lady clearly helped a lot. So uh, great work by that lady. Um, this week we've got a part one of our interview with David and Phil. David and Phil are talking about the amazing work they did um, with the rock. Uh, for Ukraine concert, um, really excited to share uh, their story and what happened with that. Let's run the tape. Phil, David, thank you so much for joining us on the Kindness Project today. Uh, how are we doing? How's our week going so far? Absolutely amazing. <clears throat> um, the weather has been fantastic. We've had President Biden here. I literally drove down past the door. Um, I got my yacht back in the water. I got my mother home from a heart uh, heart valve surgery, and she's doing fine. So it's been a brilliant. Uh, week. 
Did Biden pop in for a cup of tea, David? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, well, um, he, he he wasn't here, but he was in Carlingford, which is where my boat is. So therefore, I didn't go anywhere near it. And yeah. went he, could, he could have had a cup of tea and a ride on the boat, couldn't he? You know, that, that, that could have worked. How are you, Phil? Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, this, this time last week, I was in a very... Uh, snowy and cold Norway, where where the memo about spring has not yet arrived, but seeing family that we haven't been able to see since pre-pandemic um, in in their homes, so it was that was uh, that was pretty fabulous. Uh, and in a few days. Where in Norway? Uh, near Lillehammer, just south of Lillehammer. Um, so uh, uh, on the lake uh, uh, near Mulv, near uh, Brummerdal is the is the closest big town. Um, quite a pretty far, about an hour and a bit north of Oslo. Amazing, great stuff. So um, what we want to talk about today is uh, the amazing work you did with the concert Rock with Rock for Ukraine. Uh, but you had a question to start us off with, Charlotte, didn't you? Just tell us a bit about yourself, so I'm saying. Yeah, that's how we start, you yeah, That's how we normally start. For the benefit of our listeners, clearly I know, but for the benefit of our <laughs> listeners... Tell us a little bit about you. Um, shall I go first? Um, I've been, I'm a financial planner. I've been in the business uh, just over 40 years. Um, I, I, I joined in the bad old days, the industry where you know, there's a rate book, there's Birmingham coming back when you've sold something. And, and that's not a summary of my induction. That was my induction. Um, um, so went through, been, been through various parts of the industry, um, a lot of time in management, management consultancy uh, and, and compliance. But for the last mostly 10 years, I've been pretty much a full-time financial planner. In theory, I'm supposed to be retiring and, and slowing down and going part-time. But we've got a member of staff who's been with us for seven years. And she says, I've been talking about that since she's been with us. Um, so that's not quite happening, not happening yet. at the moment. <laughs> it, 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 we do have a plan, but uh, but it's not quite happening at the moment. There's just too much fun to be had and too much, um, um, yeah. too many, too many challenges. Uh, what made you come back? So it sounds like sort of that career journey went from financial advice to like a few other roles within financial services and then back into financial planning. What made you become a mm. full-time financial planner again as opposed to where so many hats? Well, I, I do tell people I married, I married the best financial planner I ever met. And and it was it's her company uh, in reality. She set it up. Um, so I was I, w- I joined the company and, and I was always going to do the operational stuff and the marketing, do everything else, but but do the planning and she was doing that. But like all good financial planners, and, and you're about to have a you know, talk to David, they attract far more clients than they can possibly handle. Um, so that happened. So I had to suddenly become a financial planner mm-hmm. again to deal deal with the clients because you know we she had more work than she could possibly deal with. So it was mm-hmm. it was as simple as that. So it is her fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love the way the blame's laid firmly at her door. Um, yeah, what absolutely. About, what about outside work? Uh, travel, wine, Welsh rugby. Um, yeah. Right. Love yeah it. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's about it. Um, I spend, I, I do enjoy the travel. We, we do enjoy our wine. Dave and I have, I've shared some nice wines, some nice places. Um, and, um, 
yeah, it's 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 uh, there's a big wide world to be seen out there. There's always somewhere new to go. Yeah, hundred percent. There's there's always somewhere else to visit, isn't there? About you, David. Tell us a bit about you. Yeah, so so I'm um I'll start from the other end. So I'm I'm, I'm married. Um, I have three sons, and now I have one granddaughter, which is oh, congratulations. First perspective on things. I I live in Northern Ireland. Um, I'm I you know I'm, if you, if you go back and, and look at some of the the the, the history, you, you'll find that um one of one of my ancestors was involved in the the in they searched the Northwest Passage and went down with the ship the Terror up there. So um, <laughs> I've been in. in you know, many, many generations my family have, have been in, in Northern Ireland and in Ireland. And actually, we'll come on to this, but my experience during the Troubles have, have realised that it's helped form some of my thinking around what's happening in Ukraine, and we'll get to that. Um, I sail, I fish. Um, like Bill says, I, my wife and I travel. We, we, we like to do that. Um, I'm Christian, quite active in, in our local church. And... Um, I think I'd like to think that forms some of our thinking around that. Um, I'm, I've been a financial planner for 28 years, something like that. Um, I, yeah, as Phil says, you, you, you think about your exit, you think about what you're going to do. But yeah, here's this week, I've had, me personally, not the business, I've had referrals for three new clients. Uh, what do you do? Um, so I, I am, at some stage, going to step back and, and we're, we're actually thinking about how we're going to do that. But I've more to do. I, 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 one of the things I've got really involved in in the last three, four years, and I'm, I'm really patient for that, is how do we better match the investments that clients hold to their personal values? So things like impact, yeah. sustainability, ethical, all of that. I haven't up to now been absolutely rubbish at it. Um, and and I think there's, there's, there's a better way and of, of doing this, and, and it's something that I've if if that's my legacy in financial services, I, I would I would love for that to be. Yeah, it, it's so. I mean, I um sort of that that element of purpose and values um is such a broad area. I'm 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 writing a, another book at the minute. So I finished the kindness project book that we published and is raising a a look quite a lot of lot of money for charity at the minute, which which I'm really sort of I'm, I'm really proud about, but. The next book is going to be called What Happens Next, and it's going to be all around that. And I think part of it is, so I'm 45, so I've got a bit of time, but part of it is me trying to mentally navigate what might be next in my life and hopefully writing about it to, to support clients as well. But purpose and values is such a big area when it comes to that. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, so I was little look-see on the websites of uh, both Rock for Ukraine and Refugee Support Europe. I was just wondering what made you start, what inspired Rock for Ukraine? So let, 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 let me pick that up first because because uh, it'll be a lead into what Phil is going to say. He's got more to say in this than I have. Um, the short answer to that is four words Phil told me to. <laughs> Um, he phones me on his way. And he's back. a big fella as well, Dave. Uh, yeah, exactly. Argue, yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> no one to argue with him. Um, so he phoned me. He and Shannon were on, on, on their way back from Shemshel in, in the Ukrainian border in Turkey, in Poland. He said, Right, you're up. You're next. Tag. 
and it, I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but I'd, I'd actually had another couple of conversations as it, as it happened coincidentally with my friend Stephen, who ultimately went to Crumfog with me. Um, but but it, that's pretty much how it was. Um, and I love the, this is an analogy. So Phil referred to Welsh rugby, and, and we'll just not say too much about Irish rugby and, and Welsh rugby and their comparative merits at the precise moment of time. But there's an analogy that we, on your own, you can't really do an awful lot, but together you can. So if you're, um, if you're the, um, the 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 back and you're and you're running at the at the at the other at the opposition line, and they stop you, you're you're going to stop. So you can't do very much, but it's the five guys that come in behind you and drive yeah. you forward. And that's exactly what happened. So Phil did that job and raised awareness, and we did it. We raised awareness, but. Before very few weeks had passed between us, we'd raised about twenty thousand um, pounds, with which we were able to make huge use and, and help, um, the, you know, the people in Poland, the people in Moldova, um, and 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 that's that's where that fed on through into Moldova refugee support and ultimately Iraq for Ukraine. So, but. I, I think Phil's probably best place to talk about why why it was refugee support and, and where we got to that. Thanks for that, Lou. Yeah, um, we drove, I mean, it's well documented. Shannon and I sat down about the week after the, the ward started, um, our regular Friday afternoon set in the corner with a gin and tonic. Um, I, I, I'd done what most people or a lot of people did in that first week of, of reacting to the shock of what we were seeing and and had a, had a rant on Twitter, gave money to charity, and I was still that wasn't enough that that wasn't sufficient for me and and i became aware that uh, different people were collecting at our local school that staff were collecting money um and uh, and goods and and had no way of getting it there and uh, you know as i've said to a number of people i I've, I've got no other skills but i can drive um, so we, we got hold of a van and and filled it and lots of people helped and volunteered and sent stuff and we went, and I think our secret sources, we went quickly. We got there as things were gearing up. Um, we were passing the big trucks uh, on, on the motorway. We didn't see another UK plate uh, east of Cologne. Um, you know, it was just speed, and we were able to do do stuff. Uh, David's alluded to it. We we moved pretty quick, and and people got were getting in behind, but we'd gone. So, so hence the, the the conversation with David. To be fair, we had been talking before then, but the conversation was, you know, there is a need here, and, and there is stuff, and 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 David then did a much harder journey, and 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 was able to pick up almost the next part of the aid cycle of 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 uh, where the refugees moved from the border to to within Poland and needed help within that, and that, that's what, what David was able to help with. Um, as part of it, we became very aware of Moldova as the poorest country in Europe at that point, the least visited country in Europe at that point, and um, outside the EU, uh, and, and with some real issues internally with, with Russian troops on their soil and, 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 and some, there were some real pressures. And we were very struck by the government's announcement of Moldova about, you know, essentially they were welcoming the refugees, but it was a tragedy for them as a country that couldn't afford afford this. And then we looked at how do you get to Moldova, and the answer is with difficulty. 
because uh, Google was still trying to route us through Ukraine at that point to get there. It's a, it's a long way away. Um, so we had to look around for who, who was already there. And I came across Paul Hutchins and, and uh, Refugee Support and, and the Dignity Center and was really taken with their business model and their ethics and, and what they were trying to do and, and, and going. So Shannon and I decided that we, we booked some time off in holiday in May. Um, and we just changed our holiday. We just went to Moldova. Instead, we flew into Chisinau. And at that point, the airspace had only just reopened because the Russians have a habit of uh, firing missiles over Moldova, which the airlines are not desperately keen on. Yeah. Um, so we got into Chisinau and to our very pleasant surprise, Chisinau turned out to be a fabulous place full of fabulous people with with really fabulous wine by the way um and great food and and it's you don't just hear a... too much of moldova wine do you either it's like yeah. it, it, it's it's one you of those don't. things that maybe we need to promote a bit more well you don't but actually you should um because i'll echo this it is absolutely fabulous yeah. the other thing if you go back and look at it see in the 1920s and 1930s it was one of the top exporters of wine in the yeah. world yeah. It's, it's mm. absolutely superb, and you can buy some really expensive wine. Most fella that I have. Yes. <laughs> yes. So well, um, pretend yeah. you didn't go for the wine, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you yeah. know what's interesting is hearing Paul, and we'll come back to Ukraine. But hearing Paul talk about the generosity of the Moldovan people, despite having very little, inspired me to be honest. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and it's, it's affected. It's affected both David and myself. I think what, one of the things I wasn't expecting a year ago, and the last year has been a lot of unexpected things. I wasn't expecting to have become so fond of Moldova and Chisinau in, in particular as, as a place. It, it really has become part of my life. And I was David and, and Gay were over there working the Dignity Centre, and I was supposed to be there, and I couldn't get there. We, pressures of work and um, David spent the whole week winding me up with photos of restaurants and wine and, and, and what he was doing and I got, I got very jealous and taking photos of him and Gail at some of our favourite parts of Kishinev with some of the street, oh, street art that they've got so so that didn't go down at all well but uh, it, yeah yeah. David. so you you you've both been to over and, and volunteered yeah well what, what happened well we went over in May and saw what was happening, made our connections with people like Moldova for Peace, which is an inspiring group of young people who came out and the, um, of the COVID support. And, 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 and they, they've got five warehouses around and they're, they're, they're producing a lot of the support. Dignity Centre worked very closely with them. Um, their youngsters were just knocking themselves out. They're, in, you know, they're just spending their life energy just, just doing the stuff. And you meet some amazing, amazing, amazing people. Um, and um, so we, we got involved with them, got some money to them, got some money to the Dignity Centre because people have been very generous and given us money. And whilst you know, the money resting in a bank account is a good father Ted line, as a financial planner, you don't want pe other people's money resting in your bank account. You really don't want to do that. So we were keen to support. It does, it's doing no good set in a bank account. It needs to be working and doing something. Um, and then, again, talking talking to David and Gail, uh, we went over in September which was a bit of a surreal experience because some of the, the money left over, um, what we identified was that Moldova for Peace uh, were 
struggling from, from a transportation point of view because there's fabulous public transport within Chisinau, uh, but there's very little outside that. And, and, and a lot of people, there are no refugee camps in Moldova. The, the refugees are, are, are living with Moldovans. Yeah, and, and and but they're spread around a lot of the villages and things. So we, we had the slightly surreal experience, which, which which of of wandering around used car lots in in Kishnau, <laughs> test driving vehicles. That then David became the proud owner of of a van for about an hour and a half. David, something something of that order, because we couldn't just give the money to Moldova because they're not allowed to just. They had to spend it on the project. We could, and uh, we couldn't say here's here's yeah X, you know, X number of euros. Spend it on a car. We had to buy that. Or David, in fact, bought the car uh, and then physically do a deed of transfer and, and go through the Moldovan legal system right. to do the deed of transfer so that they've got a, a, a car that that, that they haven't spent do, do, donors' money on and, and transport the stuff. So so of all the things you thought you'd be doing a year ago, David, owning a car <laughs> in Moldova probably wasn't on the list. Yeah. No, it, it, absolutely not. And and just to continue then, so we were there for a, a long weekend, did some crazy driving, um, and the, the roads are post-Soviet. They literally haven't been attended to since the Soviets left in the late 19 and early 1990s. Um, I mean, you think we've got pothole problems? We really don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then my wife and I, we've we just back from a fortnight there, um, literally working in the Dignity Centre, just because when we were there, we just really liked what Paul's story and what we're talking about. But it's been alluded to, and I will just maybe elaborate on the story. One of the things that really made me I genuinely well up, um, and I think it feeds into your point about the kindness project. Um, so the day of, after the invasion, there was a five kilometer queue on the Ukrainian side of the border of people, you know, we need out, our homes have been destroyed, where are we gonna go? But there was a five kilometer queue the other side of the border, people saying, come and stay with us. Amazing, and, and I, I, it's just amazing. And it, literally, there are no refugee camps in Moldova, which I think is it is close to unbelievable, and it, and it is very, very heartwarming. What is it about the Moldovan society, environment, culture that means that 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 exists? Well, so so I think. I, I think that big part of it, and, and they, they are just nice, welcoming, warm, warm-hearted people, but they, they do feel kindred spirits as well. Yeah. So their feeling is, we're next. And yeah. Putin has been very, very clear about that. Moldova yeah. is next. Um, so so they feel, well... So the Ukrainians are brothers, are brothers and sisters, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, in, the, exactly. in the same plight, sort of thing. Yeah, very much so. Very much so, um, and I think I think there's a there's a number of factors for me that come together. Um, one of the one of the challenges I think we face with with what's happening in Ukraine, um, leaving aside the the political and the military stuff and whatever, because you know what, there's nothing we can do about that. There's, that that just is what's happening. The number of the numbers involved are are stunning. You know, the population of 44 million in Ukraine, something like 13 million or so 
are displaced either internally or externally. That's that's pretty much one in three of the population. Um, and and in all these things, the people it affects the worst are the most vulnerable. It is it is the women, young kids. It is the old people, um, and particularly the attacks on infrastructure and things over the winter. That, you know, it really hit the vulnerable the, the hardest because that's what happens. Mm. And and it's hard to deal with the concept of 13 million refugees as, as an individual that's too big a number. And in fact, when we sat down to, to take the van going back to Sheshmel, going back all that time ago, it's only a year ago, but it feels like a lifetime, um, we, only, we could only get our heads around it, and the number was much smaller then, by saying, well, 20 families. Let's, let's picture 20 families. What do 20 families need? Whereas a mum and two kids, so they need three sleeping bags, they need head torches, uh, they need uh, toiletries, they need um, yeah sanitary stuff. They need you know what do they what do they need for for, for twenty families? And we were able then to focus and and the support we got was based on on that. And we were able to take stuff and and, and through Polish friends we were able to. Uh, lays with the local authority and say what was needed. So we we could be quite specific. We weren't trying to solve a million problems of a million and a half refugees. We were trying to solve the problem of twenty families. Yeah. I think Moldova, in a way, it's it's yeah, it's not 20, it's a lot more than that. But Moldova, for me, it it's a very clear problem. It's a very clear problem. It's a it's a small poor country. It's two and a half million people that's had. A wave of refugees. It's been kind and generous. The refugees that have come there have been, again, the most vulnerable. Uh, it's under threat. You know, you, you can box it off in a way and say, right, this, you, uh, it's easy to focus on what the. You, you can take a, action and make yeah, a difference yeah. to that many people. And, and David and Gail have just had the experience of doing that, of, of, of seeing, yeah, potentially some of the, the money that we've raised and donated being used to feed very specific people and, and it makes a difference to those and we're back to the starfish story aren't we about the boy on the beach and yeah. it's making a difference to those it's it's exactly that's that story and david david's seen that firsthand yeah so so i i, I kind of i will touch on that but <clears throat> just to put it in perspective if you just google it you'll see that moldova's had seven hundred and eighty thousand rep of those refugees. Now, some of those moved on. 780,000 in a population of 2.6 million. If you extrapolate that, that's the equivalent to the UK taking 20 million refugees. Yeah. 20 million, and we complain about a few tens of thousands. Well, I, I mean, clear, clearly on a podcast about kindness, I don't want to get too political. No. But, but no. The, the reality is when we put it into that perspective, we don't do enough, do we? No, you know? we don't. Um, uh, so I, I, I probably, I just, I've just said I'm not getting political, but I've just got... Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I know. And, but and, and, but, but I, I think I think we, we don't. It's just important to put it in context. The other yeah, thing that, right. that I think that Felder said that I would just maybe expand on a bit is that it's not my job to comment on or criticize what's happening in Ukraine or Russia or Moldova politically or elsewhere. I, I have a personal view on it. I do have a personal view on it. But the bottom line is I what, what Gail and I saw in that shop were people coming in 
and and been handed the equivalent of seven uh, of seven pounds, okay, seven pounds for a week's shopping, and it took them forty five minutes to decide what they're doing. And Natasha, the the um, the interpreter from Odessa, said the reason they're doing that is they've forgotten how to shop. They, yeah. they, they have been without for so long that they've forgotten that they've, they've been used to getting hand, handouts and told, here's what you're getting, they've forgotten how to shop. And that's what the Dignity Centre does. It gives people the choice and the agency and therefore the dignity that they, that they had lost, a bit of and, order within the chaotic lives that they've been forced to lead. And just, just, just being treated like a human again, right? Exactly. So, that, that yeah. element of being treated like the human again, because regardless of how you feel about the politics of it, these are people we're talking about, and we should exactly. care. Exactly. Um, yep. um, but yeah. But we, we yeah. sort of ventured off the original question. <laughs> I think Come on, not. then. Back, back um, to the questions. <laughs> well, I mean, it's only a framework. We can, we can ignore it if you want to. So that was part one of the interview with David and Phil. Um, we're going to move on to joke of the week. Are we ready? Yeah. Whenever you're ready. Oh, she's preparing for it. Deep breath as the Yorkshire Post gives me something I have to accept. Um, moves you away from my joke. Uh, what did, what's at the bottom of the ocean and shivers? Right, I was supposed to uh, robot fishman fell in the sea. No. A nervous wreck. I had no reaction from you when I get a pity laugh from Russ. But, I mean, that, that was a pity laugh. That was, uh, that was, that, yeah, that, I don't know what that deserves, but that deserves us. Just saying, have a lovely week, and okay. we'll see you next week on the Kindness Project. Bye.